Welcome to Best Friend Simulator, a quality hangout in podcast form with your simulated best friends, Josh and Dennis. Hey, Josh. What's up, Dennis? How you doing? Well, you know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow, based on when we're recording? Yeah. So when the podcast is Yeah, out. we can we can peel back the uh, the curtain. The scunion. Peel back the podcast scunion and reveal that we record these on Sundays. Okay, so tomorrow is Monday. Means we gotta go back to work. Yeah, you having like a Garfield moment? I hate Mondays. And I love lasagna. I'm just thinking, you know, you are a pretty smart dude. You know a lot of things about Thank things. You. And I am a kind of smart dude who knows some things about things. We should be able to figure out how to get through life without having to work. I was just thinking about that today. Wait, why? What happened? Jamie was watching a Twitch stream and she was telling me how, you know, if you have enough subscribers, you get money from it. I was like, oh, would somebody want to watch me play video games and, and curse Don't. and call thing an ass horse constantly? <laughs> did you say constantly? <laughs> ass horse I constantly? Um, don't you have to be really good at video games to get paid for people to watch you play video games? That's what Twitch is, by the way, for people who don't know. You watch other people play video games. No, I think you just have to be entertaining. Hey, uh, here I am playing the Pac-Mans. Ah, look at this. Ah, eats this shit. Watch this, I'm gonna eat this little dot. Watch out, dot. Oh, fuck, they got ghosts. Oh, shit, I'm freaking out. Maybe that's the ghost of my dead father. Wait, what is that character? That's, uh... Video game Willy? Uh, uh, Uncle Frankie bag of donuts. <laughs> Everybody's a bag of donuts. Okay, so, now, I was thinking that we should be able to solve this, but then uh, now I'm thinking, like, well, do I want to solve work for the world or do i want to solve like the idea that i don't want to work and just figure that out oh uh, let's let's do it this way let's keep option a in the background like we're always kind of working on it and thinking about it but if b comes along you know we take we jump at it okay all right and maybe maybe with all that free time that b affords us we can then spend more of our efforts working on A. I like it so we'll focus on us first and the rest of the world after we're happy Yes. Okay. So ha- yes. Uh, real oh. quick, can we can we step aside here and have a private conversation? Oh, sh- we'll be right back, listeners. Oh, sh- hey, what's up, Josh? Hey, uh, this podcast is supposed to be our money making scheme. Did you forget? Uh, yeah, but it's not. Yeah. When you told me we can make money off it, I thought I had to wait like one, two weeks tops, and here we are, like seven hey, or eight look, months I, into it. I promised my lady I'd be putting her to bed in a Casper mattress. Oh. And I intend to deliver on that promise. Those mattresses are so soft, I heard. I know, and and they come in a small box. And then you open it up and it'll bust out at you like the Trojan horse of sleep. Like your fucking dead father's ghost. <laughs> Why do you keep talking about my dead father? I'm talking about my dead father. Oh. Was... Do you think our dads know each other now? Um, in the afterlife? Probably. They met once. No, you're mixing up fathers. That's not... No, they met once. Oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that. I had at your graduation right, ceremony, which was the first time, or your graduation party, which was the first time that I met him. That's right. And I asked if you wanted me to go fuck him up. 
Yeah, and you and I thought about it. What if my dad beat up your dad as ghosts, like a, a sick ghost fight? I mean, that's fine. Cool. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know how. I, what I can do to stop it? I wouldn't be upset. Oh shit! We left the listeners. Oh aside. sorry. <laughs> Let's go back. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, hey guys, sorry, we're back. Yeah. So here's my idea. We uh, start getting heavily into real estate. Sounds good. We buy houses and fix them up and then sell them. Your cats start doing tricks for money. Just just yelling? You're just yelling tricks. Um, We come up with a podcast idea that's an actual moneymaker. Here's the deal, though. Real estate, right? Right. You need to talk to people. Yeah, I got it. What role am I going to play in that? Oh, you're going to play the heavy. Are you, is it because I've been eating a lot of cookies? No. <laughs> I don't mean. Kind of, I didn't say. It's kind of a fucked up. Way I didn't to say the. Put that. I didn't say the fatty. I said the heavy. I'm the fatty. You're the heavy. So I go. Okay. So let's. Here we'll do some. Here's our improv game, right? Well, this is us being real estate agents. Okay. Okay. Uh. Ah. Hey, Mister and Mrs. So and So. You're gonna love this place. It's got um three bedrooms, uh one and a half baths. Uh oh. You say you're not interested. Well, hold on. Now let me. Uh, let me. I want you to talk to my. Comp- my compadre, Josh, here. Josh is going to talk to you. He's got some extra information. You're going to fucking buy this house. <laughs> you hear me? I'm going to break your son's legs. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm going to show you what death is, you piece of shit. Oh, hey, uh, so Mr. Mr. So-and-so, I'm uh, real sorry about Josh, you know. He's just joking over there, aren't you, Josh? I'm not fucking joking. I'm going to murder you. I'm going to fucking bury you under the foundation of this house if you don't fucking buy it, you piece of shit. And scene. Okay, I like that. I See? think that's good. I, I think, think, and you say you can't talk I, to people. A lot of people would would definitely describe me as a menacing figure. Here's the thing, though. Let me. And I didn't stop drinking my water fast enough to say that, so I just <laughs> shot water all over the place. <laughs> you can be whoever you want to be to people that don't know you. You know, that's actually true, even unintentionally, because I was just thinking the other day how there have been a handful of women over the years who have described me to people as mysterious. Yeah, because you don't say anything, even when asked questions. Which, in reality, is super awkward and shy, but that has been mistaken for being mysterious. Yeah, now, if we're showing a house to people and you're constantly standing 10 feet behind me in a corner, maybe not making eye contact... That comes with a knife. With a knife. That comes off as menacing. Nice. What if I smeared dirt on my face? I think it should be feces. No, that would be stinky. Yeah, but that really comes off as a little more crazy and menacing. What if What if I wear a full leather face costume? Over the top. Nobody would come in the house. That's true. You, okay. you gotta, you know, you don't want it to be over the top until we need it to be. What if, okay, so what if I do some research... And I dress exactly like one of the people that's there to look at the house. How would, how would that, like, would you, how would you approach that? So, okay, I'll be the person, I'll be Mr. So-and-so, and you be you. No, that wouldn't work. Dressed up as Mr. So-and-so. Hey, do you, do you like this outfit? Oh, you're wearing my outfit. Yeah, if you don't buy this house, I'm gonna be wearing your skin next, fucking piece of shit. No, see. I'm gonna wear your skin no, like a coat. Stop it. You've gone too far asshole no see now you're just you're gonna fucking buy this house break the scene end the scene end the scene dennis you're gonna buy this i'm not buying any houses (sighs) okay i went too deep you went to daniel day lewis there i'm a method actor now Mm. i think you're just an actor on meth huh that's fair that's fair puns
puns. So we'll come back to that later. Maybe that'll be an ongoing segment of jobs we could have. Mm-hmm. But Josh, we got to get into a very important topic. Lay it on me, buddy. What do you got? So the people has spoken and okay. they loved the episode where you talked a lot about Disturbed. The numbers do not lie. That episode went through the roof, which proves my point. We gotta talk more about new metal. Okay. Well, I am prepared for this. Oh, okay. I actually am not ashamed to admit I like Deftones a lot. I think they're they're very firmly considered a new metal band. I've been listening to White Pony all week. All right. What's is there a hit off of that one? Uh, I don't know. Street Carp. That's a good song. Oh, Street Carp's on that record? Yeah. Great. But I like Deftones. Uh, I like the, the Roots era of Sepultura, which is proto-new metal. Okay. All right. That's all I got. I don't now, like any other new metal. Yeah, any like commercial new metal, like Sepultura and, and uh, uh, what was the other band you mentioned? Deftones. Deftones. They're popular, but they're not selling like millions of records. Like any- They're no like no P.O.D. Yeah, dude. Like, new metal, but with a bit of a Christian flair. Mm, mm, mm. There was uh, an image I saw. It was fan art that was just called New Metal Guys. And it was uh, members from, like, every new metal band. What? Of every new metal? Okay, huh. Is it a- Can you get it in <laughs> and- poster form? <laughs> no, it-, it was, like, a group illustration of, like, the singers from all the bands mm. hanging out. So, Dude from Disturbed. Corn. Uh, Corny from Corn. Slipknot. Slippy Slip. Deftones. Limp Bizkit. Oh, of course. I forgot about Limp. Monkey. Monkey. Is that a no, guy? He's the guitar player from Korn. Was Busy B on it? Who's Busy B? It was B. a test. And I think you failed on purpose. I think you know more about new metal than you're letting on. New metal, guys. I can't find it anymore, though. I've looked for oh, it. Man. I spent hours combing over Instagram. So maybe like each week we'll have like uh you know what's new in new metal and where are they now like where's Monkey now he's gonna fucking buy this house come on you're mixing up segments you're gonna fuck it look at me Monkey you t- I'm gonna your eyes are gonna be seriously black when I'm done with you what black from death. <laughs> That doesn't happen when you die. Yeah. He always used to wear those black contact lenses. Uh, Remember? Jesus Christ. Now you know nothing about new metal. That wasn't Monkey. That was the dude from Limp Bizkit. Wait, who's Monkey? He's from Corn. Oh, did you just say that? Yeah. Oh. Wes from Limp Bizkit is a serious musician who just happens to dress in insane costumes. And he was replaced by Paige Hamilton from Helmet, right? Oh, yeah, because he wanted to do his own thing. That was a weird turn of events. For which band or which person? You got that song, Freak on a Leash? You're going to be a corpse on a leash. That's corn again. Monkey. Um, my least... That's what I'm saying to monkey. My least favorite factoid about uh, Paige Hamilton is that every article that was written about Helmet mentioned that he has a master's degree in jazz guitar, as if that's like, oh, wow, yeah? And now he's making music and uh, metal music. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, send him money? <laughs> No, I think that was just the angle they had. That was like his gimmick. They're like, this guy is a professional, highly trained musician, and he's playing. Dude, still one of the greatest songs of all time. Unsung is a great song. Top, it's in my are, top fifty songs. Are of helmet new metal? No, how dare you? I don't know anymore. I don't know anything anymore, man. I'd put uh, I'd put unsung in my top fifty favorite songs. 
Here's the other 49. Ready? Yeah. Len, Steal My Sunshine, Everlong by Foo Fighters, a couple Propagandi songs that I haven't figured out yet, uh, Zero Corn songs, maybe a Metallica song. Uh, that song, You're Gonna Fucking Buy This House by Josh. Probably a Neil Diamond song. You're Gonna Fucking Buy This, this... House by Josh. <laughs> How's it go? By the house. It's a good one. It's a short one. Yeah, it's, it's a quick... It was on one of the Blarg compilations. <laughs> All right, so next... Deep cuts. So next episode, we'll talk a little bit about Linkin Park. Where are they now? Dennis. Come on. I mean, there's other members. I'd like to know where they are now. Don't be like that. I'm not trying to be morbid. Evanescence. Let's talk about Evanescence. Dude, wake me up inside. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I get down with that song. Sometimes like 30% of me gets down with it. Yeah, there was a there was a point in time. I think I was listening to the radio around that time, but I can't remember why. And I hear that song and be like, all right, it's a little different. And then like the <laughs> 400th time I heard that song, I was like, kill me now. Everything dies. I don't I don't want anything anymore. Uh, so, you know, I was listening to last episode uh, once it was released. Mm-hmm. Just to give myself a little bit of a, a Barry Horowitz, as I normally do. If this is your first episode of Best Friend Simulator, I'm Dennis. This is Josh. Sorry about that. Uh, Barry Horowitz was a uh, ham and egger, a jobber, a jobber, like, crappy wrestler who his whole thing would be he would just smack himself on the back because he thought he was doing a good job. He was doing a great job. So Josh was smacking himself on the back for what? Last episode. Mm-hmm. No, just just in general. And I was thinking, maybe we need to come up with, like, a a good catchphrase for Best Friend Simulator. Best Friend Simulator, what is it good for? No. Oh. I was thinking, Thursdays are for the maniacs. I think I like it. You like that? We can make a flag. Yeah, we'll have a flag. Some guy can have it in his bedroom. Maybe, I don't know, somebody. Fridays are for the men. And Saturdays are for the, I forget even the fucking saying. What is it? Saturday, Saturdays are for the boys. Fridays are for the men. Saturdays are for the boys. But Thursdays are for the maniacs. Well, we can cut the rest of that shit out. Yeah. I was just thinking Thursdays are for the maniacs. I like it. Let's go with that. Make some shirts. It's a good hashtag for... Let's let's get like... Uh, I'll get somebody on the horn over here. Get like maybe 10,000 shirts printed up. What do you think? Go... Let's say 20. 20,000? Okay. No, 10,000. Wait, wait, you mean actually like really 20? Because that's maybe the most we could sell. That's what I meant. Not 20. Yeah, do 20 shirts, but they're each $200. We'll really put the maniacs to the test. Yo, the maniacs are they're fucking loyal, man. Yeah. Come and get it, guys. So we'll be printing those up in about three or four months. We'll get them out to you guys ASAP. Just send the money in now. P.O. Box. Best Friend Simulator. Walla Walla, Washington. Dot farts. Actually, our headquarters should probably be in the middle of where we live, so somewhere in Chicago, I guess. Yes. That way, if either of us have to check Best the- Friend Simulator, mm-hmm. care of Mike Ditka. That's one Chicago reference. You could have said, care of deep dish pizza. <laughs> huh? Care of that one diner at the vegan French toast. Oh, that overpriced price place okay so we're gonna make some uh shirts asap thursdays are for the maniacs be a little uh <laughs> huh podcast references yo people like that speaking of the last episode i was making yeah. fun of you because you were talking about you had the nelson mandela effect where you thought you voted for a popular south african president who was going to bring about change but then you realized you weren't able to vote in that country i think that's what it was right sure <laughs> you're not yes ending you're just guessing <laughs> 
No, the Mandela effect is people talked about Nelson Mandela and thought he was dead, and it turned out he wasn't. Or when he died, people thought he died a long time ago. Yes. So we were talking about how that came into play with a couple different things, like the Berenstain Bears and how it's spelled differently, etc., etc., etc. So, as loyal listeners of the program know, I am in improv class. Learning how to improv. Real improv boy. Real improv Johnny over here. So I just finished up level two. Why are you laughing at me? I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at our inability to make that funny. So please proceed. Level two. You got your green belt. I got my green belt. Finished up level two at the last class. People decided to go out for drinks and we got our instructor to go out too, which is very nice. And um, we were talking at the bar and she's like, yeah... You know, too bad Megan didn't make it through. And people were like, oh, Megan, yeah, what happened to Megan? Oh, Megan, yeah, Megan, Megan. And then I had him like, who the fuck is Megan? <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. Apparently, there was someone at the first class that dropped out afterwards. Okay. Is it possible your instructor was improving with everybody? And everybody else yes-ended about Megan? And they were yes-ending and I was no-duh-ing? It was the final test. Oh shit! Did you actually? Did you actually get your improv belt? Not yet. yet. Not yet. Aww. Maybe you failed the test. You know, it's not a belt. It's just rainbow suspenders. Oh, okay. Like Mork suspenders. You got it. No rerun suspenders. You're both right. Rerun work. Both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know who Megan is. I don't think she was actually in the class. I think people were fucking with me just to make me feel weird and awkward because they do that a lot. There's a lot of like gaslighting and improv that seems like a thing i was just kidding i don't nobody was i think they all thought there was a Megan. yo what if the instructor was fucking with everybody that's what i'm saying no like not improving like straight up fucking with people like to see how like how yes men they were and be like you got it teach you no oh so you think maybe they all failed the test yeah, and I'm not a... And you were the only one that was right. able to snatch the, the theoretical pebble from your, your That's right. Hand. I'm not a robot. Yeah. You think for yourself. Uh-huh, but... Yes, and I know Megan ain't shit. Yes, that sounds like your reality, but in reality, it didn't happen. I think that's improv. That's, yeah, questioning other people's realities. Now, the other possibility is that... I don't remember people unless I've spoken to them like three million times. Okay. And this person really was in the first class, and I forgot because I was just thinking about my own life. I think Megan was maybe a person who was a part of your life, and then the aliens made you forget. Or she just wasn't funny and therefore forgettable. I think you had an an alien baby with her, and that's why you've forgotten who she is. I thought we weren't going to talk about that. Which brings us back to Josh's paranormal portal. I I don't know what this like bar stool sports is. I don't even know if it's a podcast. It might just be articles, but there's no way the articles have segues like we do. I know they don't. They're not nailing those segues like that. Like fucking jam a reference into a just to connect it to B. I mean that's like. Mm. That's a class that they teach okay. in communication school. Real, real quick here, though. Real quick. As an aside, uh-huh. a little a little peek behind the curtain at Josh's life. I'm never 
very far away from bringing aliens into a discussion. It's, uh, it's true. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm always looking for that, you know? Just kind of waiting, like looking at life like one big double dutch game. Then I'm just ready to jump in there and talk about alien abduction. Have you guys talked about aliens? Joshy. That's your that's your double. If people talk about aliens more often, I would probably not be such an awkward weirdo. You think that's what it is? You think that's why you're that's awkward? It? That gets you to sleep at night. No. The reason I, I'm awkward is because people don't talk about aliens enough. That that's a whole a whole other podcast. Blame it on society. Oh, it's always society's problem. Josh's therapy sessions. Yo, what would you <laughs> No come on, let's be honest, nobody wants to listen to either of our therapy sessions. Uh, what would you do if for a day I was always one step ahead of you, like physically, maybe like 10 minutes ahead of you? And I was just like, yo, uh, my buddy Josh is going to come in here to pick up his uh, prescription for ointment. Uh, why don't you ask him about aliens? And so you're like, oh, hello, sir. Uh, I'm here to pick up my ointment prescription. And then you're like, oh, uh, it's right over here. By the way, you don't happen to be into aliens, do you? And And you'd be like what you would be paying me a great kindness i'm gonna get that for you for your 50th birthday sounds good i look forward because you know by then after jamie leaves that's all you're gonna be into is aliens yeah sorry aliens and living in a hammock in the woods right (laughs) how are you you gonna keep doing this podcast if you're living in a hammock in the woods Uh, we'll have fucking i don't know quantum computers or something by then can you explain quantum computers in less than 20 seconds Nope. Alrighty, on to... I, I don't actually think quantum computers would even be useful in a situation like that, oh, come from on. what I understand. All right, all right. On to the paranormal portal. Yeah. We already played the music a while back, though, yeah. so right. I'm not doing it again. Go do it. Uh, so, yeah, we're doing part two of the Brooklyn Bridge UFO abduction. So, last episode, we discussed a woman named Linda Napolitano getting in touch with Bud Hopkins, famous alien abduction researcher. And kind of laying out all of the stuff about it. So I, I'm not even going to try to encapsulate all the stuff we covered last episode because there was a lot. So go back and listen to that again. Episode we'll just... 33. So we pick back up in October of 1991. Linda is kidnapped by Dan, the government agent who has kind of gone rogue and kind of lost his mind a little bit. Uh, he snatches her in public, throws her into a car, and takes her off to a beach house, I think somewhere in Long Island, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. While he's there, he's acting in very unstable ways. Uh, He's trying to kiss her a bunch. Turns out when she gets to the house, he has a picture of Linda and her son there. What? He is trying to force her to put on a white nightgown and negligee set so that he can take pictures of her in them to make sure that it was really her that night in 1989 because she was wearing like a white nightgown. She agreed to this but would only put it on over her clothes because it would be very kind of revealing and she was obviously frightened of this creepazoid. That's weird. So she does this and then Dan breaks down and starts crying and like losing his mind and saying like, oh, that was you that night, that was you. And she just busts out of the house and runs away. Smart. Yeah. So Dan actually chases after her and takes a few pictures of her, which show up a little bit later. They're actually published in the book because I believe Richard sends them. So he catches her and then is kind of alternating between kind of between being kind of abusive, rubbing sand on her face and sticking her head in the ocean and shit. 
and then saying, we're going to run away together, we're going to start a new family, and all this. He's kind of, you know, losing his marbles. And then Richard shows up and forces Dan to back off and then takes Linda home. So a week later, Richard sends a letter to Hopkins. He discusses the kidnapping, you know, apologizes for everything that's happening. He sends the pictures along that Dan took of Linda on the beach. And then he reveals that there were other people present in 1989 during the initial abduction experience beyond himself, Dan, and the third man. Uh, He said that up until now, he's kept it a secret because of national security purposes. Attempts to investigate it could have very serious repercussions. It could create somewhat of an international incident and cause problems for everybody involved Mm -hmm. and possibly the world at large, which seems like an interesting thing to throw in. That's the thing about this case is it just keeps snowballing and more shit keeps getting tacked onto it as it goes on. So he also ends the letter saying that Dan is currently getting mental help. So a few weeks after that, Linda goes in to get an x-ray of her nose, uh, which I had mentioned before she had had some issues with. Uh, There was like a bump in there and and the doctor said it looks like she had had surgery, even though she hadn't. She doesn't tell Hopkins about this, uh, but the x-ray actually reveals something inside of her nose. It's like a small cylinder with thin kind of spiraling extensions on either end. Uh, This x-ray exists. It's in the book as well. There's no real sources cited for this. Are there sources cited for any of this? Almost none of it, actually. So, yeah, I I, I just feel like I need to throw that in for the things that look the most like evidence. Sure. Uh, So, two weeks later, Linda wakes up in the middle of the night with a serious nosebleed and a laceration on her scalp. She talks to Hopkins about it, then tells him about the x-ray, which seems suspect as well for her to not mention it earlier. Uh, So she goes under hypnosis again, and during the regression, she recalls an abduction on the night of the nosebleed involving a tall being who she recognized and had claimed to have seen before, and this being was accompanied by two smaller aliens. This large being told her that the device is a regulator and that it controls her chemicals, in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. She gets all angry with them and tells them they don't have a right to do this, but they reply, we do have the right. Wait, hold on. They say, we do have the right. Oh, man, that realtor's back again. That's, that's, oh, I'm going to dress as a tall hybrid alien. There you go. That's okay. Got it. Nailed it. She remembers them removing the device from her nose and then also getting up and falling down and hitting her head, which is where the laceration comes from. So then we're going to fast forward to November 1991. Linda encounters Richard in public. He approaches her. She's extremely cautious. Uh, He says he wants to talk with her. She says, okay, but only if it's in a public place. I'm not getting into a car with you or anything like that. So they go somewhere and sit down in public and start talking. So during this conversation, it's revealed that they have some kind of weird link They have, like, pre-existing knowledge of one another. Like, she knew that he collected baseball cards when he was a kid, and he knew that she did as well. So Richard admits that he has feelings for her, and he says he feels like he's known her his whole life. He also says some things that imply that he is somehow the father of Linda's first son, Johnny. What? (laughs) Yeah. Twists and turns. He asks her for a kiss. She says no. She's like, you know, I'm married and everything. But then they they continue talking, and eventually she does kiss him. 
Yo, uh, Linda, in this in this story, Linda makes a lot of bad decisions with these people. She's always making the worst decisions. So they go on to talk, and they start discussing the imaginary friends they had as kids. Richard had an imaginary little sister he called Baby Anne, and she had an imaginary big brother that she called Mickey, which is, there are some important details to remember. Okay. Also, this was, this is not connected in any deep way to the story, but I always thought it was really weird. Richard gives Linda a gold ring that's a present for Bud, and it's to commemorate the anniversary of their knowing each other, even though they've never met. The ring has Bud engraved on the outside of it with a row of diamonds underneath of it, and on the inside it says Richard, 113089, which was the date of the abduction, and 113091, which hasn't happened yet in the story. Yeah. Maybe we need to give each other more jewelry gifts than we do. <laughs> At the two-year anniversary of Best Friend Simulator, I'm going to send you a gold ring that says... <laughs> I think it's a good idea. It says Dennis on DFS. it. DFS. Josh. No, it would say your name. I would say Dennis on the no, outside it, and my it'll name. say my name on the inside. <gasps> Yo, if you got me a ring with my name engraved in diamonds, I'd be very excited. Can you imagine either of us wearing rings? I can imagine you wearing rings when you turn into an old goth cowboy. That's true. I did used to wear those like pewter skull rings uh-huh, when I was younger. I know. I was there. Anyway. Oh, man. I, I had that cool one. It was like a, a square shape with a skull and crossbones in it. Yeah, it, was cool. it wasn't that cool. Anyway. <laughs> it, was, it was cool as shit when I was 17. Sure. Okay. So after this experience, Richard sends Hopkins another letter. He says after meeting with Linda, he's now convinced that she's not actually working with the aliens. He states that Dan is now checked into a rest home, as he calls it. And he he claims that Dan did it of his own volition. And also the big bombshell here is that he reveals that between the ages of 10 to 25, he had recurring dreams of a girl younger than him that he called Baby Anne. Now, it started off, they were very young. She was several years younger than him. And in these dreams... He's taken to meet her by these emotionless men who are very brusque with him. He and baby Anne hang out in this kind of like featureless white landscape and spend time together. This happens over the course of a decade. And as they get older, it starts to become more romantic. He specifically mentions a time when they they bond Dennis is making a really good face about that, mm, everybody. This is weird. So it's not it's, it's not weird. his uh, imaginary friend. It's an actual person. It's an actual person. Well, he says it's happening in dreams, but it feels very real. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, th- yeah, this is happening in dreams, basically. Sorry, I wasn't clear if he had met her in real life and then started dreaming of her. But no, 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 no. This yeah, th- this is a person that existed solely in these dreams that he has. Gotcha. So when he's 25, the men come for him and this baby Anne, and they fight back against them and say they don't want to be separated because they're in love. Uh, The men refuse, take her away, and the dreams abruptly stop for Richard. Mm -hmm. So guess what? (sighs) Guess Uh, guess who baby Anne is? uh, Baby Anne is Bud Hopkins. Dude, you're right. (laughs) No, it's got to be Linda. Little Bubby Anne. It's Linda. So uh, he said he realized it was baby Ann that night in 1989 when he saw her floating out of the apartment building. So given this information, Hopkins goes and meets with Linda. 
He wants to kind of ask questions without directly revealing that he knows this to see what she knows. And of course, her side of the story corresponds completely with Richard's. She, as a kid, started having these dreams where she was meeting with this somewhat older boy, being led to this featureless landscape, yada, 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 all that. And they stop very abruptly. So also in December of 1991, Hopkins gets another letter. This one is from that third man, the DeQuayar, mm -hmm. alleged DeQuayar mm -hmm. fella from the UN. You don't want to get sued. Don't want to get sued. <laughs> uh, his letter states that he's, he's very thankful that he got to witness the events of 1989, but he doesn't want to come out to the public about his role in them. Okay. You know, he says he's about to retire and that he doesn't, he just doesn't want to do it. So there, there goes that kind of hope that Hopkins had of getting him to, to come out and lend credibility to the whole situation. Right. Okay. Also that month, Christmas comes around. Linda receives a Christmas card that was sent to her by Dan, who's in the rest home. Uh, this Christmas card includes a letter. Uh, it's very menacing. And he claims he's going to escape from this rest home and he's going to come find her. And she needs to not run away from him. And she needs to be ready to go because he's going to take her away and they're going to start that new family somewhere. Hmm, buddy. Yeah. So skip ahead a couple of months to February of 1992. Linda is out shopping with her friend Carmela, which is such an old school Italian person. Yeah, name. totally. Carmela. Uh, <laughs> uh, while she's out with Carmela shopping, she sees Richard. And she's a little bit freaked out because Richard is with several well-dressed security guys. Hmm. She tries to run away from him. Uh, Carmela helps. She goes up and confronts Richard in public, but Richard eventually tracks her down. There's a bit of a scuffle. She pulls a gun on him, and he does like a... She says he did like a, look, there's Dan. And then she turns around, and he snatches the gun away from her. Sucka. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, got her good. Uh, he gets her to calm down and says he came with some friends of his... To protect her because he found out that Dan had actually escaped. But he arrived on the scene and found that there were other security agents of some sort there looking for her. Oof. And then we have another reveal that these guys were also present that night in 1989 and witnessed th this event, uh, had lost time and all that. Uh, they wanted to take her in for questioning, but he... Uh, got them to agree to back off if he said he would come forward since he knows so much about the case and he'll say everything that they need to know. So yeah, the story just keeps getting embellished as it goes on. Mm -hmm. You know, initially it's the two guys and there's another guy and then it turns out there's this whole meeting with like world leaders and shit and all these security agents that witness it. So a few months after this situation, Richard sends another letter to Hopkins saying that Dan is not going to be an issue for Linda or for anybody. Uh, hints that due to his instability, he was taken care of by the higher-ups. He became what he referred to as an official problem, with official and problem capitalized. Hmm. You know, there, there's hints that he is either locked away permanently somewhere, or he didn't buy that fucking house. Aw, <laughs> uh, you hit him under the floorboards, didn't you, Dan or Richard? <laughs> Big Mickey. Big Mickey put him right under the uh, uh, right in the crawl space. Okay, so later that month, Richard sends another package to Hopkins. Uh, this one has a letter. It's got a few drawings and crayon of the 1989 incident and two sand samples. He says that the samples are both from that night. The first one 
came from the shoes that he was wearing because he woke up and you remember initially they didn't have any knowledge of being on the beach. So he woke up with sand in his shoes. So he was like, I better keep this for some reason. Sure. And then the second sample was actually from, he remembers being on the ship in this room and he saw like a device that they were using to like analyze or do something to the sand, like refine it in some way. And the aliens walked out and left him here alone with this device. He thinks maybe it was intentional. He doesn't know. So he stole some of that, too. So Hopkins takes these samples and sends them off to the University of Nevada to be analyzed. Uh, First one comes back normal beach sand. The second says that the sand is refined somehow. And Hopkins definitely does in the book that thing that we talked about in Patient 17 back several episodes ago, where... He just kind of throws a bunch of science words out. Sure. Nice. Without any like, yeah, it, it's kind of like overwhelming people like, oh, I don't know what that means, but it sounds crazy. Nice little trick. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, there's he's just listing stuff without any real breakdown of it. You know, it just says that it looks different. And then a friend of his that wants to remain unnamed took some electron microscope shots of the, the two samples of sand. And you can see that the second batch is fractured and smaller somehow so i don't know that didn't make a lot of sense to me okay may of 1992 on memorial day linda's son steven has his friend brian spend the night at their house they do some shifting brian sleeps in his brother johnny's bed johnny sleeps with his dad linda sleeps on the couch at 2 30 a.m linda wakes up gagging on blood because there's blood pouring from her right nostril. She gets up, tries to stop the bleeding. In short order, Stephen comes out, Brian comes out, Johnny comes out, and Steve, her husband, come out. All of them have blood coming from their right nostrils. They sat up for a few hours trying to get the bleeding to stop. She sends Brian home, and she's extremely nervous, doesn't say anything to his mom, because she's just like, I don't know what to tell him about this. She gets a phone call five weeks later from Brian's mom, a woman named Sue, to ask her about that night. Uh, Linda is a bit evasive, doesn't want to say, yeah, I've been getting abducted by aliens and whatnot. Uh, But Sue brings up of her own accord. She's like, you know, this reminds me of that movie Intruders, which was a TV movie based on the book of the same name by Mr. Bud Hopkins. Mm. Uh, Mentions how in that story, one of the abductees had blood coming out of their nose. And then she kind of spins off in this whole thing about her son has a history that she thinks might suggest he's been abducted uh when he was a a a toddler he would talk to her and say that at night these little people would come into his room and talk to him that he referred to them as the emergence and he was you know when he would go to summer camp he'd be terrified of going into the woods because he said at night he would see lights deep in the forest uh sue brings up how her family lost six hours on a trip to atlantic city well (laughs) it's not hard to lose six hours in atlantic city you know what i mean hey baby so, yeah, that's just another little detail thrown in. It's almost like these are thrown in to be like, yeah, see, 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 this is all real. Everybody. So in June of 92, so in June of 92, Hopkins goes public with this case at the now famous conference on UFO abduction at MIT. This is one of the, the landmark events in the history of UFO abductions, a bunch of people get together. This is when I think John Mack became convinced that this is a real thing. Okay. Uh, who I'd mentioned before, he was a, I think he was an MIT, no, he was Princeton. He was a Princeton psychologist who 
became convinced that alien abductions are a real thing. So yeah, it's famous. I have a book on it. So after the conference, um, it comes out that Linda's first son, Johnny, had a history indicating he may have been abducted himself. Over in the family. Indeed. So in 1989, he drew a picture of something he said happened to him that fit an abduction narrative. You know, there were aliens present. The drawings that he did were, were looked very similar to aliens and whatnot. So Hopkins decides he wants to talk to Johnny about what happened on that night that everyone woke up with the nosebleeds. Johnny says he was dreaming about his imaginary sister, Melody, who is a, a girl that he has regular dreams about. Guess where he meets Melody? They meet at a featureless white place. On that night in particular, two emotionless blonde men took her away to a building that Johnny said looked like a dish. He says that his mother was there. He also says that there was a man there wearing pajamas that had light-colored hair. So Richard writes in later to Hopkins and confirms that he dreamt the same thing that night. You know, Richard is convinced that Johnny is his son, which I had mentioned earlier. And there was a detail in the book that I just wanted to mention because it, it just seemed weird to me. You know, so so Richard is convinced that Johnny was conceived during one of these abduction things. And so it's totally his son. And, you know, he, he does things for Johnny, even though Johnny doesn't know who he is. He sends some little presents and stuff. So at one point, Richard actually calls Johnny on his birthday and leaves a message singing happy birthday to him on the answering machine, which for some reason made me feel really sad. Mm. Even though I don't even think Richard is a real person. <laughs> right. That 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 detail really like got me. I was like, oh, that just putting myself in that situation. And I think the thing is, outside of this, this whole story is fascinating. It's almost like a novel, which is a detail that we'll get into later. Would it make you feel a little better if I sang happy birthday like Richard would? Yes. Okay. Hello, Johnny. It's your dad, Richard. Happy birthday to yous. Happy birthday <laughs> to yous. And Brooklyn so Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Thank you. And now I feel less sad about the there, whole situation. Yeah, I'm here to help. Continue. Thank you. Thank you. So then there's this whole thing, whole other thing. There's an abduction where Johnny's present, Linda's present, the third man is present. Uh, there's some woman named Marilyn, who's one of the regular attendees of Hopkins's abduction support group things. Johnny is on a steel table. He's super upset. The third man is like there, like kind of crying along with Johnny and saying like, he'll, he'll give him a gift. He'll, he'll make it better. Uh, and then in real life, gives Johnny an antique diving helmet, which was this whole thing that was drawn out super long in the book. And it was just mm. like, oh, God, OK. Uh, but one interesting thing, the only reason I actually included this abduction is that present at this, there was a strange hybrid alien woman with huge black eyes and long, thick black hair, which kind of reminded me of the, the alien woman from Love and Saucers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, there's actually there's an artist's rendition of her in the book as well maybe i'll take a picture of that to throw up on the instagram in the dream it's suggested that this woman is linda's sister or some shit i don't know everybody's related in this book yeah it's nuts so the final event in this whole timeline in november of 1993 hopkins accompanies a reporter friend of his to o'hare uh, the airport in chicago because this friend of his has an interview scheduled with the third man, like the IRL third man. Hopkins goes with him and 
has an envelope prepared to give to him that has some recorded interviews of Johnny and Linda, has letters from himself, from Linda, and also has a thank you note from Johnny thanking him for the gift of the diving helmet. So he's just kind of sitting there quietly while the interview goes on. The interviewer is there for different reasons, you know, so he's he's interviewing him about politics. But then when the interview starts to wind down, he starts to throw in questions about UFOs. DeQuayar is evasive. He kind of deftly steers the conversation back to politics every time. You know, they mention radar. He'll say something kind of glib and then talk about the radar system in Iraq or something like that. So he manages to get through it without actually saying anything about this. You know, he and when he's actually asked explicitly about his involvement with the subduction case in 1989, because at this point, it's all out in the media, the, the UFO magazines and stuff are publishing articles. There's a lot of speculation that he was this third man in the case. He says he doesn't know anything about that. Of course. Cover your tracks. Yeah. So afterwards, Bud approaches him. Uh, and he walks up and DeQuayar is actually reading Linda's letter. He says to Hopkins, you know, I don't know her. I don't know Johnny. And I, I honestly don't know anything about this whole deal. It is confirmed that he was back in New York during the month that he allegedly gave this helmet to Johnny because his wife is there and, and she kind of confirms it and stuff. And Hopkins does some kind of gymnastics at this point in the book. He's like, you know... He said he wasn't there for that stuff, but he didn't, like, really say it. It seems like he's saying that because the guy was very diplomatic about it in real life. Because, I mean, as a guy who works for the UN, I'm sure he's very good at handling sure. all types of shit, you know. Hopkins almost implies that because he wasn't vehemently denying the whole thing, he's like, I don't know. I don't know, man. You know, it just seems kind of... Yeah, but if you vehemently denied it, it would be like, oh, why was he so... Uh, d why is he denying it so aggressively? That's suspect. Exactly. It's, it's like you can read into any response you get to make it support right. the conclusion you want. Okay, so at the end of the book, Hopkins gives his closing statement. He thinks, and this all fits the narrative that he is famous for popularizing about aliens. You know, he's, he says, they're not here to save the Earth. They're not the space brothers that people have talked about. They're not worried about the environment. They're not here to stop nuclear warfare. He thinks they're here to work on some kind of breeding program to create some kind of a, a hybrid species that's part alien, part human, which I think we talked about a little bit when we talked about... When you're talking about the different alien types, one of them, that was their mission, right? Well, yeah, yeah, in particular, the Dulce base. Right. Because the, the greys, because they were a genetically engineered race, lost the ability to reproduce. So that's why they were here on Earth, because they needed to find a way to be able to reproduce. Because they were slaves created by the reptilians. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay, so he says, you know, they're not here to conquer the Earth. They're not here to enslave us, and they don't appear to be truly malevolent. They're just callous and cold and not afraid to just use us for what they need. But their ultimate agenda isn't known. So, yeah, that's kind of the whole story. I didn't mention that there were other people, there were four other people who claimed to have witnessed some part of the 1989 abduction event, ranging from a woman who was, again, another part of Hopkins's abductee support groups who claimed that she was present and had been abducted herself and saw all this stuff. I don't know if I mentioned that last episode or not, but down to just a person who 
saw strange lights off in the distance. Hmm. And Hopkins did actually meet with some of these people in real life. So they actually exist. But the truthfulness of their accounts is up for debate. Right. So I was going to just make this a two-parter, but there's a lot to discuss here so much as stuff. well because there are so many facts. Yeah, so there's a lot of very interesting maybe possibly damning information about this case that I really want to get into. So we're going to do a a three-parter on this one, and we'll discuss that next week. All right. Man, this is... I thought last week when you gave us so many different details and avenues and left turns and right turns, it's like... And there's still more, and it's and this is condensed because last week, I mean, I came with way too many notes, and this week I had that in mind. It's like, okay, I need to cut these notes down a little bit, so I cut them down to like five pages of notes instead of nine pages or whatever. <laughs> Thanks, but it's still, yeah, it's a lot. It's it's I approached this remembering that it was kind of like a wacky case and forgot how many twists and turns there were in it. So yeah, it's kind of a, a labyrinth of just weird shit. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, until next so, yeah. week. Yeah, look. Look, before you start that shit, I just don't. We're not getting in this business yet. Wait, what am I trying to say? We were just working on some stuff. <laughs> hey, Dennis. What? Not only is that all the time we have for this call, if you don't buy this fucking house, that's all the time you have for your life, you asshole. You don't have to call me an asshole. You just threaten my life. You just don't get it. I, I get into it. <laughs> I'm out of here. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Best Friend Simulator. Send us an email at joshanddennis at gmail.com. That's Dennis with one N. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best Friend Simulator. And thanks to Alan for the theme music. Listen to his podcast, Werewolf Ambulance, and Marveling at Marvel's Marvels. Also, thanks to Justin for the artwork. See more of his stuff at burntobuild.com. That's all the time we have for this outro. Bye. Bye.